Hey folks, this is Rue and Dave and welcome to So Many Books, So Little Time. Today we'll be continuing in our journey of Anne of Green Gables by Ellen Montgomery in chapter 5 titled Anne's History. Cue, Cue the, the music! music. So, we're raring to go today. Uh, Rue, you just had your medication. Yes, because I forgot to take my morning's heart medications. And I was oh. wondering why I felt bad. Oh. <laughs> I was like, oh, why do I feel funny? Why don't I feel right? Oh. I was going to do a joke about how you gave me a coffee, so I have my medication, but I thought, yeah, never mind. It's okay, it's okay. No coffee. We both had our coffee, which is, on without the heart medication, not so smart. My doctor better not be listening to this. I'm not technically <laughs> meant to be drinking coffee. <laughs> anyway, two of them. Well, what's that Motley Crue song, Kickstart My Heart? <laughs> yeah, when, when you've got uh, tachycardia as literally a symptom of your random autonomic nervous system dysfunction, adding something that is a stimulant that speeds up your heart is generally frowned upon. So... But because you have diagnosed ADD, it's actually good for your brain. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things. The medications that are good for my ADD are not so good for my heart and blood pressure. And then the medications that are good for my heart and my blood pressure just make me a bit dra- a little groggy sometimes. So It's all rich tapestry. Yeah, it's a constant, as I like to phrase it, it is a constant balancing of the appropriate treatment equation for you as a unique and individual patient. Okay. I might be working on a chapter on this, that's why. Anyway. Uh, right, right, right. You, you, <laughs> the you, phrasing is currently You've rehearsed bad. that phrasing. Well, I've been, I'm trying to perfect the phrasing. That's not going to be the final product. Okay. Um, yes. Let me just... I'm sorry. Hair is too... So, it's winter. We have a polar vortex attacking uh, most of our southern states, and yet the Gold Coast has decided to be surprisingly warm. Well, actually... Our nights, the last few nights, because of the wind, have been chillier than usual. Yes, yes. Our evenings are very chilly. We're, we're continuing this theme of discussing weather because it's what we do. Um, Plus, it's... Uh, I don't know if we brought it up on the podcast, but um, it was only a couple months ago where I brought up this idea, like, in an unusual fashion, fashion, I'll bring up a question, and just by actually vocalizing the question, I immediately get the answer, my, think of the answer myself. Yes. and. I vocalized, why do we always just discuss the weather? And then instantly I go, oh, it's an inoffensive form of discussion well, with people. Relatively inoffensive unless you don't believe in climate change and cannot distinguish between weather change and climate change. And we and, did uh, actually yeah. do this on the podcast because I remember you going right into that climate change jab. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Sorry, climate change conspiracy theorists. It is a thing. Yeah, I'm not sorry to those people. Yeah, I'm not that sorry either. Just, just no. But uh, last time on the podcast, we uh, we found out uh, what uh, Mar- what's her name, Miranda, Marilla, Marilla's uh, reaction to Anne was. Uh, Marilla really didn't know what to do with her. Yes. Um, so Marilla, we got a little bit about Marilla, and also that. Um, Matthew's kind of like, you know what, even though this is a mistake and you're going to see what happened, I kind of think we should keep her. Yeah, well, Matthew's still going to be going and asking, um, and Matthew's gone ahead and hired someone for the summer. Oh, he already went, because yes. I know he talked about it. He said, end of the chapter, it was literally, little Jerry Boat from the creek was here this morning, and I told him, I guess I'd hired, I'd hired him for the summer. Right. So he's hired him. And Marilla's not particularly, well, Marilla's frustrated because she um, kind of clipped the mare with the whip really quite harsh, harshly. So basically, if, if she was driving a car, she really revved the motor to speed off. And, and also, it's, um, it's not so much the idea of the girl in general, it's that she does not know what to do with a personality personality like Anne at all but also she has that underlying prejudice against an adopted girl that she voiced about oh no we're not gonna get a girl but I think also I wonder if that's because she's not used to being around girls but it is 
you you could it even said she didn't know what to do with Anne. she no. even said like i don't think girls should be talking like you do no yeah it's it's very much out of her what she's comfortable her comfort zone has been in fact that's pretty much what Anne is she brings people completely out of their comfort zone so well, far. Matthew seemed to like it well yes but he's being brought out of his comfort zone still but in a way it's been good for him well, like when she was yapping on and on on the ride home, he kind of was like, I like other people talking, so I don't have to. Well, yes, but he's like, even he was avoiding those scenarios. He avoids scenarios where other people talk, even. He avoids people. Mm. But he's like, I usually just prefer the quiet, but this, I don't mind. I, I, this is actually quite pleasant. Mm. But yes. So today, we are going to learn about Anne's history. Ah. Ah, so... Uh, remember, they're on their way to Mrs. Spencer. Do you know, said Anne confidentially, I've made up my mind to enjoy this drive. It's been my experience that you can nearly always enjoy things if you make up your mind firmly that you will. Of course, you must make it up firmly. I'm not going to think about going back to the asylum while we are having our drive. I'm just going to think about the drive. Oh, look. There's one little early wild rose out. Isn't it lovely? Don't you think it must be glad to be a rose? Wouldn't it be nice if roses could talk? I'm sure they could tell us such lovely things. And isn't pink the most bewitching color in the world? I love it, but I can't wear it. Red-headed people can't wear pink, not even in imagination. Did you ever know of anybody whose hair was red when she was young, but it grew another color when she grew up? Nope, I don't know as I ever did said Marilla mercilessly. <laughs> and I shouldn't think it likely to happen in your case either. Anne sighed. <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> well, that is another hope gone. My life is a perfect graveyard of buried hopes. That's a sentence I read in a book once, and I say it over to comfort myself whenever I'm disappointed in anything. I don't see where the comforting comes in myself, said Marilla. Why? Because it sounds so nice and romantic, just as if I were a heroine in a book. You know, I'm so fond of romantic things, and a graveyard full of buried hopes is about as romantic a thing as one can imagine, isn't it? I'm rather glad I have one. Are we going across the Lake of Shining Waters today? We're not going over Barry's Pond, if that's what you mean by your Lake of Shining Waters. We're going by the Shore Road. Shore Road sounds nice, said Anne. Going back to the beginning of the chapter, that bit, when she says, I've made up my mind to enjoy the drive, it's mm -hmm. been my experience. <laughs> so part of me is going, that's a good thing for, for dealing with a difficult situation. Compartmentalization, focusing on, on some, what you can focus on, mindfulness. In fact, what she was describing was like a lot of the stuff that you hear in mindfulness. Well, yeah, for years, because... Um, uh, I well, actually, still to this day, I always dread going to the movie theater because, in my experience, there's always been someone acting up in that place that ruins the movie experience for me. And then a couple years ago, through you know the reading of the self help books I did, I started to do what Anne said that like before the movie had started, I say I'm going to enjoy this movie. Yeah, and it, that's the thing when you put yourself in that. It's not that the other like people still aren't talking or being annoying. But it's like you shift your focus. Yeah. And because you've chosen that I want to enjoy this movie, that stuff doesn't matter as much. Yeah, you prioritize the enjoyment of the movie. It doesn't mean that bad things aren't happening and you aren't, for example, say, say you were in pain. It doesn't mean that you aren't still feeling the pain. Mm -hmm. It just means I'm in pain, but I'm going to, I'm going to get through this. Hmm. It, I, I know it's not fine right now. I don't feel great right now, but I'm going to get through this. Yeah. And that's my focus. Like, so it's a, almost like a shift of focus. Um, I know that if you take it to the extreme, that's when you get dissociation. And that's not always that good. Mm. That's a trauma response, which again, digging a little bit into the psychology of Anne, we'll find out more about and if that's relevant to her. Shore Road. Sounds nice, said Anne dreamily. Is it as nice as it sounds? Just when you said Shore Road, I saw it in a picture in my mind, as quick as that. And White Sands is a pretty name too, but I don't like it as well as Avonlea. Avonlea is a lovely name. It sounds just like music. How far is it to White Sands? 
It's five miles, and as you're evidently bent on talking, you might as well talk to some purpose by telling me what you know about yourself. Oh, what I know about myself isn't really worth telling, said Anne eagerly. If you'll only let me tell you what I imagine about myself, you'll think it ever so much more interesting. No, I don't want any of your imaginings. Just stick to bold facts. Begin at the beginning. Where were you born and how old are you? I was 11 last March, said Anne, resigning herself to bold facts with a little sigh. And I was born in Bolingbroke, Nova Scotia. My father's name was Walter Shirley, and he was a teacher in the Bolingbroke High School. My mother's name was Bertha Shirley. Aren't Walter and Bertha lovely names? I'm so glad my parents had nice names. It would be a real disgrace to have a father named, well, say Jedediah, wouldn't it? Jedediah? Jedediah, that's a mouthful. That's a real name? Yes, it is. I mean, my initial thought was it was a typo of Jebediah. Nope, apparently Jedediah. Hmm. I guess it doesn't matter what a person's name is as long as he behaves himself, said Marilla, feeling herself called upon to inculcate a good and useful moral. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, I need to make sure that that's not something she gets used to, judging people by their names. Okay. She's like, well, I don't know. Anne looked thoughtful. I read in a book once that a rose by any other name would smell as sweet, but I've never been able to believe it. I don't believe a rose would be as nice if it was called a thistle or a skunk cabbage. That's a uh, that's a Simpsons joke. It, well, if we're called stink blossoms. Well, it, it's probably from the yeah, shared. I suppose my father would have been a good man even if he had been called Jedediah, but I'm sure it would have been a cross. Reference cross to bear. Difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, my mother was a teacher in the high school too. But when she married father, she gave up teaching, of course. <coughs> yep. A husband was enough responsibility. Oof, my feelings. Just moving on, moving on. Mrs. Thomas said that they were a pair of babies and as poor as church mice. So I'm assuming a pair of babies would imply that they were very innocent or very young. Young, young yeah. and innocent, yep. They went to live in a weeny, teeny, little yellow house in Bolingbroke. I've never seen that house, but I've imagined it thousands of times. I think it must have had honeysuckle over the parlour window, and lilacs in the front yard, and lilies of the valley just inside the gate. Yes, and muslin curtains in all the windows. Muslin curtains give a house such an air. I was born in that house. Mrs. Thomas said I was the homeliest baby she ever saw. <laughs> I was so scrawny and tiny and nothing but eyes. But that mother thought I was perfectly beautiful. I should think a mother would be a better judge than a poor woman who came in to scrub, wouldn't you? I'm glad she was satisfied with me anyhow. I would feel so sad if I thought I was a disappointment to her. Because she didn't live very long after that, you see. She died of fever when I was just three months old. I do wish she lived long enough for me to remember calling her mother. I think it would be so sweet to say mother, don't you? And father died four days afterwards from fever too. That left me an orphan, and folks were at their wits' end, so Mrs. Thomas said, what to do with me? You see, nobody wanted me even then. It seems to be my fate. Mother and father had both come from places far away and it was well known they hadn't any relatives living. Finally, Mrs. Thomas said she'd take me, though she was poor and had a drunken husband. She brought me up by hand. Do you know if there's anything in being brought up by hand that ought to make people who are brought up that way better than other people? Because whenever I was naughty, Mrs. Thomas would ask me, how could I be such a bad girl when she had brought me up by hand? Reproachful like. (laughs) Sorry. Like, does it make you more special? Than if I, I can understand that. Mm. Mr. and Mrs. Thomas moved away from Bolingbroke to Marysville, and I lived with them until I was eight years old. I helped look after the Thomas children. There were four of them younger than me, and I can tell you they took a lot of looking after. Then Mr. Thomas was killed, falling under a train, and his mother offered to take Mrs. Thomas and the children, but she didn't want me. 
Mrs. Thomas was at her wit's end, so she said what to do with me. Then Mrs. Hammond from up the river came down and said she'd take me, seeing I was handy with, ch with children, and I went up the river to live with her in a little clearing among the stumps. It was a very lonesome place. I'm sure I never could have lived there if I hadn't had an imagination. Mr. Hammond worked a little sawmill up there, and Mrs. Hammond had eight children. She had twins three times. Oh. I like babies in moderation, but twins three times in succession is too much. I told Mrs. Hammond so firmly when the last pair came. I used to get so dreadfully tired carrying them about. I lived up the river with Mrs. Hammond over two years, and then Mr. Hammond died, and Mrs. Hammond broke up housekeeping. She divided her children among her relatives and went to the States. I had to go to the asylum in Hopeton because nobody would take me. They didn't want me at the asylum either. They said they were overcrowded as it was. But they had to take me, and I was there for four months until Mrs. Spencer came. Anne finished up with another sigh of relief this time. Evidently, she did not like talking about her experiences in a world that had not wanted her. Did you ever go to school? demanded Marilla, turning the sorrel mare down the shore road. Not a great deal. I went a little the last year I stayed with Mrs. Thomas. When I went upriver, we were so far from school that I couldn't walk it in winter, and there was a vacation in summer, so I could only go in the spring and fall. But of course I went while I was at the asylum. I can read pretty well, and I know ever so many pieces of poetry off by heart. The Battle of Horn Linton, and Edinburgh After Flodden, and Bingen of the Rhine, and most of The Lady of the Lake, and most of The Seasons by James Thompson. Don't you just love poetry that gives you a crinkly feeling up and down your back? There is a piece in the fifth reader, The Downfall of Poland, that is, so, that is just full of thrills. Of course, I wasn't in the fifth reader, I was only in the fourth, but the big girls used to lend me theirs to read. Were those women, Mrs. Thomas and Mrs. Hammond, good to you? asked Marilla, looking at Anne out of the corner of her eye. Oh, faltered Anne. Her sensitive little face suddenly flushed scarlet, and embarrassment sat on her brow. Oh, they meant to be. I know they meant to be just as good and kind as possible. And when people mean to be good, you don't mind very much when they're not quite always. They had a good deal to worry them, you know. It's, it's very trying to have a drunken husband, you see. And it must be very trying to have twins three times in succession, don't you think? But I'm sure they meant to be good to me. Marilla asked no more questions. Anne gave herself up to a silent rapture over the shore road, and Marilla guided the sorrel abstractedly while she pondered deeply. Pity was suddenly stirring in her heart for the child. What a starved, unloved life she had had. A life of drudgery and poverty and neglect. For Marilla was shrewd enough to read between the lines of Anne's history and divine the truth. No wonder she had been so delighted at the prospect of a real home. It was a pity she had to be sent back. What if she, Marilla, should indulge Matthew's unaccountable whim and let her stay? He was set on it and the child seemed a nice, teachable little thing. She's got too much to say, thought Marilla. But she might be trained out of that, and there's nothing rude or slangy in what she does say. She's ladylike. It's likely her people were nice folks. Point out, considering that you don't inherit the way you speak from your parents. Yeah, but they didn't know that. No, they didn't know that at the time. It's a very strange kind of sentence. Okay. The shore road was woodsy and wild and lonesome. On the right hand, scrub firs, their spirits quite unbroken by long years of tussle with the gulf winds, grew thickly. On the left were the steep, red, sandstone cliffs, so near the track in places that a mare of less steadiness than the sorrel might have tried the nerves of the people behind her.
Down at the base of the cliffs were heaps of surf-worn rocks or little sandy coves, inlaid with pebbles as with ocean jewels. Beyond lay the sea, shimmering and blue, and over it soared the gulls, their pinions flashing silvery in the sunlight. Isn't the sea wonderful? said Anne, rousing from a long, wide-eyed silence. Once, when I lived in Marysville, Mr. Thomas hired an express wagon and took us all to spend the day at the shore ten miles away. I enjoyed every moment of that day, even if I had to look after the children all the time. I lived it over in happy dreams for years. But this shore is nicer than the Marysville shore. Aren't those gulls splendid? Would you like to be a gull? I think I would, that is, if I couldn't be a human girl. Don't you think it would be nice to wake up at sunrise and swoop down over the water and away out over the lovely blue all day? And then at night to fly back to one's nest? Oh, I can just imagine myself doing it. What big house is that just ahead, please? That's the White Sands Hotel. Mr. Kirk runs it, but the season hasn't begun yet. There are heaps of Americans come there for the summer. They think this shore is just about right. I was afraid it might be Mrs. Spence's place, said Anne mournfully. I don't want to get there. Somehow, it will seem like the end of everything. Oh, poor girl. Yeah, so it's interesting that her story is, well, her history when she didn't embellish it, and her attitude towards those who cared for her, even that, like, even though her life was not particularly great, um, her attitude, she's, she has a lot of compassion. Yeah, yeah. For those people who are taking care of her. And, and she, understanding. Yes, yeah, so much, like a really, like, she's going, look, I was unwanted and that's, that's, I've not never been wanted. And that's, I, I realize that, that I recognize that I acknowledge that. And they just did the best they could given the circumstances mm. and they meant well. Yeah. Most of the time they meant well. And I think that's, that's a good kind of. But man, tragedy after tragedy after yes. tragedy. How many husbands died there from the people who looked after? That's like, that's a lot of death. Yeah, um, yeah. Then again, turn of century fair. Well, yeah, yeah, life then and um, accidents work well. And we I'm thinking with with you know that one lady, she had three sets of twins, and when her husband died, all the kids got divided up amongst the relatives. Something, yeah, you know, people would have huge families spread everywhere, so that kind of thing probably happened quite a lot. Yeah, and it's far out. Um, his, yeah, the historical context. There's a reason the um, so I know we're not reviewing the Netflix series, but there is the Netflix series, and you know how Marilla read between the lines. Mm. The Netflix series kind of gives us glimpses of what those between the lines could have been like, right? For someone that is sensitive mm-hmm. and aware, and a bit more, uh, a little bit more dreamlike. But also practical. She's incredibly practical when it comes yeah. to certain things. She's like, okay, well, now's not the time. I need to mm. um, switch off. But it seems Marilla is thawing. Yes. There is thawing. She's seeing the potential in Anne, which... Although I really laughed at the um, the line, oh, she could probably be trained out of speaking so much. <laughs> Uh, but yeah. even even then she said but mind you everything she does say there's nothing rude or slimy yeah, in yeah it. she's not it's not that she's being um it's just the girl has an imagination yeah she has she has things to say even though they might like they're not they're not harmful and probably that's also because she hasn't had much love she's got to get everything out that would contribute um uh, remember how we said we think that she's got ADD? I actually saw that on Twitter. An exchange happened ah. after we discussed it here. Um, someone went, name a historical characters that you think either have ADD or might have autism or like, you know, what might mm. be autistic. And someone went, oh, Anne of Green Gables. No doubt. No doubt. <laughs> like, definitely has ADD. And all of all the people who've, who who had ADD just went, 
that's why I related to that character so well. Like, <laughs> but it's true. Like she, she talks a lot. She sees a lot. Mm-hmm. She observes a lot. Um, she also has a not regarding the diagnostic criteria. Talking about Anna, the fact that she is that compassionate and understanding and caring and and but she is what Marilla said. She's starved for love. Mm. And it's very clear. Well, we've got plenty of time left, so do you want to do another chapter? Why not? So in this chapter, chapter six, Marilla makes up her mind. And is surprised. Is she? Again? No, no. No. The the (laughs) joke about how, like, the first three chapters where someone, someone is surprised. Everyone is always surprised, apparently. Get there, they did, however, in due season. Mrs. Spencer lived in a big yellow house at White Sands Cove, and she came to the door with surprise and welcome mingled on her benevolent face. Dear, dear, she exclaimed, you're the last folks I was looking for today, but I'm real glad to see you. You'll put your horse in, and how are you, Anne? I'm as well as can be expected, thank you, said Anne smilelessly. A blight seemed to have descended on her. I suppose we'll stay a while to rest the mare, said Marilla, but I promised Matthew I'd be home early. The fact is, Mrs. Spencer, there's been a queer mistake somewhere, and I've come over to see you where it is. We send word, Matthew and I, for you to bring us a boy from the asylum. We told your brother Robert to tell you we wanted a boy ten or eleven years old. Marilla Cuthbert, you don't say so, said Mrs. Spencer in distress. Why, Robert sent word by his daughter Nancy, and she said you wanted a girl, didn't she, Flora Jane, appealing to her daughter who had come out to the steps. She certainly did, Mrs. Cuthbert, corroborated Flora Jane earnestly. I'm dreadfully sorry, said Mrs. Spencer. It's too bad, but it certainly wasn't my fault, you see, Mrs. Cuthbert. I did the best I could, and I thought I was following your instructions. Nancy's a terrible flighty thing. I've often had to scold her well for her heedlessness. It was our own fault, said Marilla resignedly. We should have come to you ourselves and not left an important message to be passed along by word of mouth in that fashion. Anyhow, the mistake has been made, and the only thing to do is to set it right. Can we send the child back to the asylum? I suppose they'll take her back, won't they? I suppose so, said Mrs. Spencer, thoughtfully. But I don't think it will be necessary to send her back. Mrs. Peter Blewett was up here yesterday, and she was saying to me how much she'd wished she'd sent by me for a little girl to help her. Mrs. Peter has a large family, you know, and she finds it hard to get help. Anne will be the very girl for you. I call it positively providential. Marilla did not look as if she thought providence had much to do with the matter. Here was an unexpectedly good chance to get this unwelcome orphan off her hands, and yet she did not even feel grateful for it. She knew Mrs. Peter Blewett only by sight as a small, shrewish-faced woman without an ounce of superfluous flesh on her bones. But she had heard of her. A terrible worker and driver, Mrs. Peters was said to be, and discharged servant girls told fearsome tales of her temper and stinginess and her family of pert, quarrelsome children. Marilla felt a qualm of conscience at the thought of handing Anne over to her tender mercies. Well, I'll go in and we'll talk the matter over, she said. And if there isn't Mrs. Peter coming up the lane this blessed minute, exclaimed Mrs. Spencer, bustling her guests through the hall into the parlour, where a deadly chill struck on them, as if the air had been strained so long through dark green, closely drawn blinds that it had lost every particle of warmth it had ever possessed. That is real lucky, for we can settle the matter right away. Take the armchair, Mrs. Cuthbert, and you sit here on the ottoman and don't wriggle. Let me let me take your hats. Flora Jane, go out and put the kettle on. Good afternoon, Mrs. Blewett. We were just saying how fortunate it was you happened along. Let me introduce you two ladies. Mrs. Blewett, Mrs. Cuthbert. Please excuse me for just a moment. I forgot to tell Flora Jane to take the buns out of the oven. Mrs. Spencer whisked away after pulling up the blinds. 
Anne, sitting mutely on the ottoman, with her hands clasped tightly on her lap, stared at Mrs. Blewett as one fascinated. Was she to be given into the keeping of this sharp-faced, sharp-eyed woman? She felt a lump coming up in her throat, and her eyes smarted painfully. She was beginning to be afraid she couldn't keep the tears back when Mrs. Spencer returned, flushed and beaming, quite capable of taking any and every difficulty, physical, mental, or spiritual, into consideration and settling it out of hand. So she's kind of like... It seems like as long as I can get rid of the problem, it's not a problem for me. That's kind of the impression I'm getting of Spencer. But she seems to be quite adept at finding solutions to problems, too. Mm. Possibly because of that ability. Yeah, because she doesn't want to deal with it. <laughs> yeah, so she just gets it out of the way. It seems there's been a mistake about this little girl, Mrs. Blewett, she said. I was under the impression that Mr. and Miss Cuthbert wanted a little girl to adopt. I was certainly told so. But it seems it was a boy they wanted. So, if you're still the same mind you were yesterday, I think she'll be just the thing for you. Mrs. Blewett darted her eyes over Anne from head to foot. How old are you and what's your name? she demanded. Anne surely faltered the shrinking child, not daring to make any stipulations regarding the spelling thereof. And I'm eleven years old. <laughs> you don't look if there were as much to you. But you're wiry. I don't know, but the wiry ones are the best after all. Well, if I take you, you'll have to be a good girl, you know. Good and smart and respectful. I'll expect you to earn your keep and no mistake about that. Yes, I suppose I might as well take her off your hands, Mrs. Cuthbert. The baby's awful fractious, and I'm clean worn out attending to him. And if you like, I can take her right home now. Marilla looked at Anne and softened at the sight of the child's pale face with its look of mute misery the misery of a helpless little creature who finds itself once more caught in the trap from which it had escaped. Marilla felt an uncomfortable conviction that if she denied the appeal of that look, it would haunt her to her dying day. Moreover, she did not fancy Mrs. Blewett. To hand a sensitive, high-strung child over to such a woman? No, she could not take the responsibility of doing that. Well... I don't know, she said slowly. I didn't say that Matthew and I had absolutely decided that we wouldn't keep her. In fact, I may say that Matthew is disposed to keep her. I just came over to find out how the mistake had occurred. I think I'd better take her home again and talk it over with Matthew. I feel that I oughtn't to decide on anything without consulting him. If we make up our mind not to keep her, we'll bring her or send her over to you tomorrow night. If we don't, you may know that she is going to stay with us. Will that suit you, Mrs. Blewett? I suppose it'll have to do, said Mrs. Blewett ungraciously. During Marilla's speech, a sunrise had been dawning on Anne's face. First, the look of despair faded out. Then came a faint flush of hope. Her eyes grew deep and bright as morning stars. The child was quite transfigured. And when Mrs. Spencer and Mrs. Blewett went out in a quest of a recipe the latter had come to borrow, she sprang up and flew across the room to Marilla. Oh, Miss Cuthbert, did you really say that perhaps you'd let me stay at Green Gables? She said in a breathless whisper, as if speaking aloud might shatter the glorious possibility. Did you really say that? Or did I only imagine that you did? I think you'd better learn to control that imagination of yours, Anne, if you really can't distinguish between what is real and what isn't, said Marilla crossly. Yes, you did hear me say just that, and no more. It isn't decided yet, and perhaps we will conclude to let Mrs. Blewett take you after all. She certainly needs you more than I do. I'd rather go back to the asylum than go to live with her, said Anne passionately. She looks exactly like... A gimlet! <laughs> Marilla smothered a smile under the conviction that Anne must be reproved for such a speech. A little girl like you should be ashamed of talking so about a lady and a stranger, she said severely. Now go back and sit down quietly and hold your tongue and behave as a good girl should. I'll try to do and be anything you want me, if only you'll keep me, said Anne, returning meekly to her ottoman. Sorry, I'm like, I, I like the fact that Marilla's like, oh yeah, yeah, she does. But no, no, this is bad. I must set an example yep. for a child. Mm -hmm. 
When they arrived back at Green Gables that evening, Matthew met them in the lane. Marilla from afar had noted him prowling about it and guessed his motive. <laughs> she was prepared for the relief she read in his face when he saw that she had at least brought back Anne with her. But she said nothing to him relative to the affair until they were both out in the yard behind the barn milking the cows. Then she briefly told him of Anne's history and the result of the interview with Mrs. Spencer. I wouldn't give a dog I liked to that bluet woman, said Matthew with unusual vim. I don't fancy her style myself, admitted Marilla, but it's that or keeping her ourselves, Matthew. And since you seem to want her, I suppose I'm willing or have to be. I've been thinking over the idea until I've kind of got used to it. It seems a sort of duty. I've never brought up a child, especially a girl, and I dare say I'll make a terrible mess of it. But I'll do my best. So far as I'm concerned, Matthew, she may stay. Matthew's shy face was a glow of delight. Well, now, I reckon you'd come to see it in that light, Marilla, he said. She's an interesting little thing. It would be more to the point if you say she was a useful little thing, retorted Marilla. But I'll make it my business to see that she's trained to be that. And mind, Matthew, you're not to go interfering with my methods. Perhaps an old maid doesn't know much about bringing up a child, but I guess she knows more than an old bachelor. So, you just leave me to manage her. When I fail, it'll be time enough to put your oar in. There, there, Marilla, you can have your own way, said Matthew reassuringly. Only be as good and kind to her as you can without spoiling her. I kind of think she's one of the sort you can do anything with if you only get her to love you. Marilla sniffed to express her contempt for Matthew's opinions concerning anything feminine <laughs> and walked off to the dairy with the pails. But um, I just want to interject that I missed, I it, it, yeah. if Anne is that uh, type, which I, I kind of agree with Matthew's assessment, that type of person can be easily manipulated with yeah. if someone's unscrupulous. Yeah, and that's again that's a, it's a sign of abuse, abuse and trauma, yeah. and yeah, it's pretty yeah. Good thing we left the content warnings on the. <laughs> I've left content warnings on our um, podcast for this one. I was like, do we need to have content warnings? Yeah, probably. There are topics that come up that are pretty. Mm. Yeah, there. It's handled in a fairly tactful way yeah. but they're there yeah yeah i won't tell her tonight that she can stay she reflected as she strained the milk into the creamers she'd be so excited that she wouldn't sleep a wink marilla cuthbert you're fairly in for it did you ever suppose you'd see the day when you'd be adopting an orphan girl it's surprising enough but not so surprising as as, as that matthew should be at the bottom of it him that always seemed to have such a mortal dread of little girls Anyhow, we've decided on the experiment, and goodness only knows what will come of it. Yay! Why is it goodness only knows? Ah! No, I'm saying yay because Anne's being adopted. Well, yes, Anne is being adopted. Anne is being adopted. Uh, yes, it is happy. And she is... <laughs> and I like the main, the main reason was that uh, Marilla met the woman that she'd be going to. <laughs> yeah, and basically went... So we were her only real hope at having a home that wanted her for her, not well, I mean, another dog's body. Can, can you imagine how Anne would be crushed in the home of that woman? Yeah, I think that her entire existence has been this and it's just no. Mm. Oh, boy. But I guess, yeah, geez. Because I, you know, not firsthand. Oh, actually, no, not. I haven't heard many firsthand accounts, but I've read many stories about foster children yeah the, things um, things can the things they go through well it depends on the motivation of the foster parent there are some fantastic foster parents oh, yeah, yeah. who are there for the purpose of literally like for them it's all about the kids and having a safe home and mm. when they can they adopt but yes there are individuals like with in any circumstances that will take advantage of systems that uh for remuneration or for help well yeah for for there's some incredibly shifty things that do yeah. go on well i mean the majority the majority it's not not like that but those in the minority well i i think like today 
in 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 the time of this story, it's probably very um, matter of course that someone would adopt a foster child for help, like um, yeah. whether to look after children themselves or help on the farm, that kind of thing. Yep. Today, I don't think officially that would be allowed. Like I want no. to adopt a child for help because no. we have child labor laws. And yeah. also that's not the right reason to technically, adopt a kid. Technically, this is after the Victorian introduction of child labor laws. Mm. But it was still comparatively fairly recent. And this is, again, we're talking more rural communities. Yeah. And we're not talking like a factory worker. We're no, talking no. Uh, labor that you would expect your own children to do as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, if if Anne had been the older sister in that family, she would have helped her mother look after all those twins. Pretty much, except in this scenario, she would have been treated, doing the work of what the older sister would have done, mm-hmm. but treated like a stranger mm. who had to earn their yes. keep, which is... Uh, yeah, it's it's not great. No, it's not. I mean, no, um, and that's why I'm 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 liking the fact that Marilla Marilla's attitude is the kind you'd want to. I mean, y- yes, there's the whole question of, uh, I guess, a sense of superiority that is probably there, Marilla, and 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 we'll get into a little bit more into it. Um, you know, because they're a good family from a good background and. They they know that they're slightly odd compared to the rest of their compatriots in the community. Mm. Yes, but still they have a certain place. They have a place. I think that's what the difference is. They know their place. They see their place. They are their. They are. And they've kind of they've dug out a life for themselves, right? Yes, there. they have a niche in the society. There is a distinct and clear role for them, and therefore there is a sense of I guess we will be able to teach this child. I mean, you should be able to teach a child. That is the point. But by virtue of the fact that we are, I guess. They're not some, they're not outcasts, but they're, they're on the edge. Yeah. They're on the, they're on the fringe of that particular society, but they have a very clear position in that society. Mm. Where... And, and mind you, at this point in the story, the only other uh, resident of Avonlea we've met is Mrs. Rachel Lind. Yeah, and Mrs. Rachel Lind, who is very harsh of her judgment of everyone, has a good opinion of Marilla. Well, is, is, it... is, odd about, is odd about Matthew, finds Matthew a bit of an odd duck, but also respects him for what he does. I think there was a line, because I just recently edited our first yeah. chapter, um, a line about how Marilla, Marilla was like one of Mrs. Rachel Lind's, like she considered them friends and one of the only people that she thinks she thought could really that be said for yes and that's the thing like it tells you about their sincerity and i think that's what we're getting here it's that's the thing both marilla and matthew are very sincere in what they feel they could be contributing to so even matthew's putting it it's not about what we can get out of her out of Anne. yeah it's what we could give that that's what he said in that uh talk a couple chapters ago yeah and i even like what he said right there I, I won't I won't uh, butt in with how you want to raise her, but I think you should treat her with as much love as kindness as you can without spoiling her. Yeah. And so, he, yeah, he agrees that there needs to be discipline, there needs to be structure. He's gonna, not going to argue because, anyway, Marilla's in charge of that. But he's also very conscious of what it is they can be giving her still, mm. and it is love and kindness. And I think, um, and the fact that Marilla kind of went, Wow, this this child is Marilla, who comes across as very no nonsense and a little cold. She can, but you can tell her thinking behind it now because mm-hmm. we got a glimpse of it. The reason she's doing these brusque kind of statements and cold statements, like I mustn't encourage this attitude in in it. <laughs> I must. She, it's it's not going to serve her well for the society in which we live. Mm-hmm. She's very aware of the social requirements. Well, and that's always been. Um... I'm not even bringing ADD into it, but Anne is obviously quite a creative child. She has an imagination and yep. uh, not just through stories, but, you know, it seems that the ultra creative have always had a bit of a problem fitting in, finding yep. their place just because of the way their minds work. Just she, I mean, we, we heard like she was, re- she's reading, th- she's had a very scant amount of schooling and mm-hmm. education. Loves poetry. But she's reading fifth form, uh, fifth grader level, or fifth form level, as opposed to fourth, which mm. she actually belongs in. Yeah. So her reading comprehension is very high. Mm. 
especially for someone who hasn't had access to mm. proper schooling. So what, she's had four months and she's had four months. So one year, four months, a little bit, maybe another, uh, was it, she's three years with, I don't remember. I think it was three years with yeah, I, I don't the remember. Hammonds. I, I don't remember the timeline. I'm curious about that, actually. Her, <laughs> her parents died four months after she was born. Yeah, so that part. Or was it like, it was three months for the, no, because yeah, it was three, three months. months for the, the mother and then the dad went like four weeks later. Uh, four days. Four yeah. days later. Yeah, it was really, oh, really man. quick. Um, so three months. She got three Man. months with her parents. So there was no thing. But she said, and that was so sad when she uh, she said that I she, I never got to call her mother. Yeah, and that was making her sad. Not that she could remember her mother. Even that. Mm. I mean, of course, but the fact that she couldn't um, do that. So she said she went a little the last year. She said so to say that she's had a year of school when she was with Mrs. Thomas would be generous. She's had at least four months when she was at the asylum, so that's that. Mm. Um, she had a let's say she went half a year when she was with Mrs. Thomas. So that's nine, nine months, two years. They were two years, and that's two seasons. Mm. That is, she's had less than a, a, maybe she's had a year and a little bit, year and a half of schooling, mm. and she's still reading at a level higher than her age. Yeah. So we have a highly intelligent, highly high-strung, high like, for reasons, like partially character, partially probably traumatic response. Mm. And there's all these things about her that just, in, in that society, girls' education was also not prioritized. Yeah, yeah. As long as they knew how to run a household. Well, like, uh, Her mother was a teacher, and then as soon as she had a husband, she stops being a teacher. The, uh, the first... Because I know the first uh, place that happened was New Zealand, but the the women getting the right to vote that was around the turn of the century, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, and that's another thing. Like, it's all very. It's definitely giving us an interesting insight to, to to why Marilla says the way. Like even Marilla's coldness is not genuine coldness. Hmm. I, I do want to, you just brought up the uh, the thing about. Um... Uh, her mother stopped being a teacher when she was married. And yes, there is that. But I actually, because of the way it was written, I took it as a jab, um, a joke, because the line was, uh, having a husband is enough of a responsibility. Like, looking after this man yeah. is more than... <laughs> well, I think, uh, also remember, the only experience Anne has of husbands, in terms of observing a husband and wife, one was, One was a husband a drunkard, who was a yeah. drunkard who eventually fell under a train. And and because drunkard, probably abusive. Yeah, most likely. Especially because she wasn't a real child of yeah, the family. Yeah, so there's a lot of in-between there that we're not getting. And the whole uh, red-headed stepchild thing. Yeah, that wouldn't have helped. And then you've got um, Mr. Hammond, who was working his sawmill, and then after this poor his poor wife has had how many kids? Eight kids? Yeah, eight kids um, dies, goes up and dies. And you're going, somehow... Well, the whether he did it on his own or whether it was just an accident. <laughs> well, okay, so let's take it a whole nother level. Let's go, let's go to a dark place. Let's do a, a Deadpool moment of dark. It's interesting that Mrs. Hammond didn't keep a single one of her children and then fled, sorry, sorry, moved to America. She couldn't even look after one kid? Hmm. Her husband, uh, and Anne doesn't embellish the fact that the husband died, doesn't mention it was if it was an accident, doesn't mention if, like, usually she mentioned with the other one, he fell under a train, right? Hmm. With Mr. Hammond, she's staying very, very succinct on his death. Okay. And I wonder <laughs> about that. I mean, this is really reading between the lines, but you kind of go, it's very strange. She, she snapped. And then fled the jurisdiction. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. Just take it to a dark place. Did Mrs. Hammond kill her husband? And then distribute her kids and run. Distribute. <laughs> get, get, yeah, distribute the kids and run. Mm. That's kind of what it's sounding like. Yeah. Which is apparently a thing that can happen. Well, eight kids... Uh... 
sipping Mai Tais on the Florida well, course line. <laughs> eight kids and, and uh, I mean, I'm sure there, there are lots of lovely families and lovely mothers who can handle that, but the fact that they were living out in the, the remote region of the t- a town, mm. up a river. And uh, every child is expensive. You have eight of them. Well, it was more the time and the ex- like the exhaustion. Um, and then you think about the fact that, so she was looking after, the mother would have been looking after that. Oh, wow. That, yeah, no. Sorry. I am, I am projecting my personal feelings here because I would have gone, that would have been incredibly intense. I'm sure their mothers are perfectly capable. But again, the, the death was very, very much just not, not... Um, Embellished upon? Yes. And considering Anne is good at embellishing. Well... That, it is that whole by story, well, yeah. that whole story, she even gave the preamble. I don't like talking about myself, so it's like I'm going to stick, as as Marilla put it, the bald facts. Yep. So Marilla did ask her not to embellish. Yes, but but she still managed to. Just... And she doesn't like talking about herself. Yes, that that definitely contributes. But she did express how the other one died, and not this one. Mm-hmm. That's weird. Yeah. It's just weird for Anne to not mm. mention that because for her, that not to be gory or gruesome, that would have been an interesting pertinent fact. Mm. The fact that the kids, again, for me, it's the red flag of the kids got distributed and the mother disappears off to another country. <laughs> hmm. to, to Canada's Mexico. Pretty much. <laughs> so, yes, it's, it's interesting. So we got to know a bit about Anne. We mm-hmm. definitely found out what her future, alternate future would be like had she not... I have a lot more empathy for her, and I already was well disposed to liking her and caring yeah. for her. Yes, she's a, she's a very... You can see when Mark Twain loved her as a character. And she gets more and more delightful and strange as we go along. Excellent. Excellent. Well... Yeah, well, let's wrap up. Uh, As usual, uh, you can find me over on Twitter at Dave underscore the underscore turnip. And you could find me on Twitter at R-O-O-M-C-M-O-O, Rue McMoo. We have a Facebook page and a Twitter page for our podcast, which is at S-M-B-S-L-T podcast. The music at the top of the podcast is by Haygood Hardy, and it is called Avonlea. And the music at the end of the podcast is I Am The Slam by Frank Zappa. So until next time, which I believe will be chapter eight, because we did two today. Uh, seven, seven. Ah, so we, oh, we did five and six today. Yes, yes we did. So uh, yeah, until next time, one and will be chapter seven. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed the podcast. Uh, please let us know what you think and we'll see you next week. Yes. Thank you. Bye. 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 Thank you.